Thank you very much. Um, can everybody hear me up, up the back? Great. Look, I've, I've had a, um, a fabulous day today. I think it's just been a, um, a wonderful set of presentations with really engaging speakers. Um, we all, our time is so precious and so valuable, and I think I certainly feel that coming here was, was very, very worthwhile. So I'd like you all to join me in thanking Tina and the Centre for putting on today. It's been, um, been a great effort. Thank you. <laughs> So, um, you know, my, my job, I guess, is to, um, to deliver the concluding remarks. And I noticed that, as you would expect, there were areas of, um, of agreement um, and areas of difference. So I was surprised that there was quite a, quite a bit of agreement throughout um, a lot of the, the presentations. Um, I think one thing that we probably all agree on, whether you are a medical practitioner, a legal practitioner, whether you're an academic, whether you're a regulator, is that the health and safety of the public is paramount. Um, obviously, that's where medical practitioners start from, and um, obviously, that's where the regulators also start from. Um, and so, I found it interesting then um, that you know there is a, um, a social contract there where we um, we allow professionals to rip our chests open and to um, soar into our shin bones, as as we heard earlier today. Um, and um, we allow uh, medical professionals to do that to us, and in, in return, um, they are re remunerated for that. And we expect that the service that they deliver to us will be within the professional boundaries. Um, and we expect that, um, um, that amongst the cohort of people that are privileged to provide that service, that um, we don't have people that are you know, wildly addicted to drugs or are sexual predators um, and engage in that sort of, of conduct. Um, so we see both sides um, coming in there from the practitioner side and from the, uh, the regulatory side. In terms of innovation um, in this space, there was discussion around well, what is innovation and, and a, a struggle to, to define it in any meaningful way. Um, there, um, I, I, liked the, um, I, I liked the definition we heard about um, that it's a virtue. Um, that we're looking for better patient outcomes. I, I thought that was a neat um, description of, of what um, medical innovation should look like. Um, and indeed, when it is done that way, innovation would be promoting the public health and safety because it would be providing those better outcomes. Um, however, we also heard plenty of um, stories about innovation which goes the other way and, and undermines the public health and safety. Um, so we heard talk about rogues, um, cowboys, um, but then when we looked into it a bit more deeply, we saw that the reality may not always match the perception that it is the, um, perhaps the, the fear of regulation or fear of discipline that is somehow stifling innovation. There was a struggle to find real concrete examples of that occurring. Um, we heard about um, in the sphere of innovation, which perhaps tends to undermine um, public health and safety, we heard about autologist stem cells and the use of science-ness um, to attract customers. Um, there was discussion about the regulatory lag. Um, and um, there's obviously some, some work in that space for the regulators to do. And certainly, um, without giving any undertakings, I've, I've spoken to a number of the speakers. And um, I'll be going back and talking to the health ombudsman about this space. It is something that in Queensland we are aware of, but um, it warrants further conversation. Um, 
and there was discussion around well, what is the right response there? Is it, you know, is it a code? And that would certainly be a great step in the right direction. And then there's also the enforcement of that code and, and the whack-a-mole sort of approach. Um, and I think ultimately, you know, any sort of at the pointy end of regulation, it does come down to whack-a-mole, which, which mole is not following the code if, if we have one. Um, and the benefit of whack-a-mole is that when you whack the mole, um, that particular mole, hopefully, mole doesn't stick its head back up again. Um, that's the principle of specific deterrence. Um, and that mole hopefully goes and tells all the other moles, hey, don't stick your head up. And that's the principle of general deterrence. And um, um, that's the basis on which um, we regulators work if it's done well. Uh, we heard horrible stories about the artificial uh, larynx. Um, and we heard discussion about, in the, in the bad innovation space, about rogue GPs. Um, and you know, certainly in our office, we do have an, an example of a, of a rogue uh, GP. Um, I can't go into the, the details, but that is certainly a, a very spectacular example of that, of um, the dangers of um, GPs using the internet to inform uh, their treatment of patients, even though the patients really, really wanted um, the outcome. Um, it was clearly not going to be a good outcome, and it, and it wasn't. Um, one thing we didn't talk about um, is now in Queensland there is an unregistered space. Um, and it's a very, very vast field. It covers a whole range of um, previously unregulated professions. And I think that um, that's another big cohort of bad innovation, the potential there for, for the quackery. And we actually do come ac across quite um, a, a bit of that. And so things like people that um, are suffering from cancer and turn their back on conventional treatment, um, they'll turn to the internet again and um, often reach out to anyone that offers them um, a way out of that. And so, for example, I don't know if you've heard of a substance called black salve. It's a very uh, caustic substance. If you Google it, you'll find some horrible photos on the internet of what it does to you. It just burns through your skin. And so we, um, that's something that our office is, is dealing with, um, the unregistered sphere using black salve to treat people, um, which, is, which is unfortunate. Some very bad outcomes there. And so there was a comment made that perhaps in relation to this um, fear about regulation stifling innovation that perhaps um, the issue is um, more the inappropriate conduct rather than um, the innovation per se and certainly that rang true for me from, from my experience in the field and that's not to say that the perception isn't real I think obviously it is real and it is something that um, you know um, we need to keep in the forefront of our minds. There was uh, another theme that arose about um, you know, innovation being stifled, not just from the discipline side, but from the, the civil proceedings as well. But as we move through the day, I think most of the discussion was about um, the disciplinary space. Um, and certainly some of the early speakers spoke about the fear that medical and other practitioners have about disciplinary proceedings, as opposed to civil proceedings. And perhaps one reason for that is under disciplinary proceedings, you are the actual the target of the investigation. Um, whereas in civil proceedings, um, whilst you're certainly a party to it, um, ultimately your practice um, won't be um, affected. Um, it might be affected in ancillary ways, but it won't be directly affected as a regulator can do. So perhaps that's one reason for the, f for the fear. Um, we discussed the legal framework. Um, the national law, it's quite a big document. Uh, 
it's, um, despite its title, it's not a Commonwealth piece of legislation. It's, um, it's uniform state-based legislation, which is not uniform, <laughs> because New South Wales and Queensland are a bit different to everywhere else. Um, we all agreed um, across the board that when you look at the figures, it's only a very small proportion of practitioners that actually end up before a, um, a tribunal. Um, and that seemed to be consistent. In Queensland, I managed to get some statistics from our office. Um, so from this January to the January before, we have six, we received 6,394 complaints. Um, from those complaints, we've launched 389 investigations. Um, of those, about one in six is currently um, paused pending criminal proceedings. So about one in six of our investigations actually arise from criminal charges that are laid. Um, there have been 48 matters referred through to, to me in my role of Director of Proceedings. My role is to decide independently of the Health Ombudsman whether to refer matters into the tribunal or not. So um, 48 matters. Um, and of those, I've referred 15 matters through to QCAT. I've referred four matters back to the Health Ombudsman for further investigation. And in one of those matters, I recommended no further action be taken. Um, and I've currently got 29 matters under consideration in various stages. Some have just been received in, and some are about to come to me for the final decision. And then finally, perhaps one of the points of difference, which would be as you would expect, um, from the practitioner's side, uh, the concern, a very real concern about delays in investigations, um, about uh, a perceived lack of transparency and fairness. Um, and then in conversations out in the courtyard, um, a bit deeper about the problem that we have, the issue that we have with splitting the cases in Queensland, so where we have a practitioner who's engaged in um, perhaps misconduct but also has health issues. In Queensland, we've been tending to give the health issue to APRA to deal with, and the Office of the Health Ombudsman keeps the conduct issue. Um, and there are, there are reasons for that, good reasons for that, although it, um, it, it's obvious from the feedback that that's probably not the best way to deal with it. Um, the good reason is, is that our office lacks powers to meaningfully deal with health issues um, in the sense that a practitioner with health issues um, sometimes needs a lot of support um, through um, various um, assessments and panels that can be set up or alternatively that the health practitioner is continuing to perhaps engage in, in drug use and as we take the matter to the tribunal we would like to perhaps get some hair testing to see whether that drug use is continuing. We don't have those powers so that's why in Queensland we've ended up splitting complaints and I think that's a matter for Parliament um, to sort out. There has been a recent uh, inquiry into our office by the Parliamentary Committee which is charged with overseeing us and we put up about 20 pages of um, suggested amendments um, to the Act and one of them um, is around that, about our office getting those extra powers so we can keep matters together. On the other side of the coin though, from the patient and the public point of view, um, if somebody is engaging in serious misconduct, well then that is an issue um, that needs to be dealt with. Um, it's not just medical and other 
health practitioners that go through disciplinary proceedings, it's also lawyers. Um, so for example, I can have a complaint made to the Legal Services Commission about me, and because I'm a public servant, I can have a complaint made um, to my boss about my um, behaviour as a public servant, so I'm subject to two separate regimes. Um, there are teachers, there are um, builders, and even real estate agents are subject to um, various regimes. So it's, it's not just the, the medical practitioners um, that are subject to this, um, but clearly it's in the interests um, ultimately for the protection of the health and safety of the public that um, whenever the regulator steps in that it's done in a, in a very fair and in a very timely matter, manner. Um, and I think that's, that's a point of agreement um, as well. So um, those are my concluding remarks. Um, thank you all for attending today. Um, it's, um, like I say, it's been a, a great day and thank you for all taking time out of your busy schedules um, to attend. Thanks, Tina. <laughs>